I love mornings like this where it's like, basically we're all full, we're all good to go. I can get a C minus sermon in here like, dude, church was already excellent today. I love that. Well, happy Mother's Day to everybody. I'm super thankful for my mom, for my stepmom. One of the things I love about our church is there's so many women uh, in our church I feel like have helped mother me. And I'm just so thankful for the collective wisdom of the moms and the moms of, who've, gone, who've birthed us, who've gone before us. So thank you for that. Uh, we are in the middle of, uh, of this series, Jesus 167. And uh, what's so fun is the idea is there's 168 hours in a week. You, we are in one of them. And this hour, you can easily, if you, if you like checking off, like, God, did I do it today? You can check it off. Yes, one hour. Jane, that's for you. One hour, gold star. You're dialed in. You got this hour done. But the idea is that we want to be people that don't just come to church and oh, encounter God, rehearse the truth, be reminded of the good things of God, but that we day in, day out, hour in, hour out, recognize that we are people called by God to be God's people wherever we are in every context. And so um, today we're going to talk about where we spend actually most of our lives, not in bed, but actually um, at work. At work, can you believe that? We spend over 90,000 hours of our life, over 90,000 hours of our life is dedicated to work. That is a huge chunk. That's more time than you're going to spend with your kids, with your spouse, and even sleeping. 90,000 hours of your life. And even if you go into retirement, which I love, Art always says, retirement doesn't mean you stop working. It just changes, you know, where your financial resources come from. So it's not even that you just stop working. It's just what you do and how you make money changes. But our whole life, we actually spend so many hours in work. And so what in the world do we do with those hours? And for all of human history, people have been trying to figure out what happens in these hours and how do we maximize them? How do we leverage them? And what's interesting is all of human history to like 100 years ago, people even didn't get to really pontificate about it, right? Because for up in all of human history to like 100 years ago, basically you worked 8, 10, 12, 15 hours a day just to survive. You know, when, when the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, like that was no joke. Like you were gutting it out. You didn't get to go, is this job fulfilling? It was the only job you had. It was your family job. It was the thing that you had to do. And, and up until, you know, recently, Christians had to figure out how in the world are we faithful in the jobs that we have? And then about, you know, 80 years ago, um, everything kind of changed. And now we have a little bit of latitude, a little bit of freedom. And now the question is like, I just want to be fulfilled. How do I be all that God called me to be? And this work thing is getting in the way. But for whatever reason, work is a thing for most of us. We have to deal with it. We have to navigate it. It's part of our life. And so the question we want to look at this morning is, how do you walk with God? How do you enjoy God? How do you be God's woman or God's man in the place that he's planted you for 90,000 hours of your life? What I love is um, everyone's been trying to figure it out. And, I, uh, and because I'm not that smart, I Googled. I said, okay, Google, give me some wisdom. What are the wisdom of the ages about work? And uh, I want to share with you a couple of these First is Confucius. For some reason, he's the one guy in the last all of human history who didn't have to work. He could actually sit and he could think and he can do all the work. But you've, it's funny, this phrase is actually our mantra, but actually came from Confucius, right? Choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. What I keep telling my kid is may not pay the bills, right? But you got to find that, that balance, right? Choose a job you love and you'll never have a to work a day in your life. This, I think, is the wisest thing I came across. It's actually from Hillary Clinton um, when, she was the foreign, when she was the Secretary of State. She said, don't confuse having a career with having a life. Well, that's pretty wise, especially for this weird like male development, like my career is my life, and they're all one and the same. But no, right? Don't confuse they're not the same thing. There's a career, and then there's, there's your life. Benjamin Franklin says this, work as if you were to live 100 years and pray as if you were to die tomorrow. 
That's some good wisdom, right? Oh, I love that. And then last was this. This is a, from the uh, poet Maya Angelou. She says, nothing will work unless you do. And because she's a poet, you're like, what does that mean? Right? You know? And I've been thinking about it all week. And I, and I, and I realized uh, I'm like totally geeking out on chat GPT right now. It's like this the little AI thing. It's so fun, right? Hey, chat GPT, I have $1,000. How do I make a million dollars? And it tells you step by step. <laughs> hey, chat GPT, I want to grow our church to 10,000. What do I do? And it tells you. It's incre- it is incredible. But you still actually do the work. Like, like knowing all the things doesn't matter. It's actually doing the work in my Angelo. She's like, oh, just lays it down. I love it. So this is what we're going to look at today. Wednesday at 10 a.m., middle of the week, you're at work. Imagine where you're going to be. Where are you going to be in the middle of your work day, in the middle of your work week? And how are you going to leverage that time to expand the kingdom of God? How are you going to leverage that time, those 90,000 hours for the kingdom of God? Well, before we talk about this, I feel like it's helpful to backtrack a little bit and try to understand a little bit of the theology of work. Okay, so we're looking at the theology of work because you know what is interesting is God actually designed us to work. When God created the universe, when God created the oceans and the stars, the moon, and he created um, humans and he planted us on the ground, and the very first thing he had to say to us is this, he says this, the Lord your God made man, made human beings, and he put, him, he put man, Adam, in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you're free, you're free to eat all the, um, from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. But I love that the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it. Like from the very beginning, before sin even entered the world, there's something incredibly noble about work. And you know this to be the case because some of us, are, you know, who are tired or came into a ton of money or have all the freedom in the world to do whatever they want are still compelled to do something, are still compelled to leverage their resources and their giving and their stewardship in such a way that will be a blessing or a benefit to them or their family or the world. Like it is in us. And so this drive to work is actually a God-given thing. And I think it's helpful when we think of work, when we think of doing something, providing for something for our family, being a steward of the resources we have. We have to understand this is part of God's design. It's part of God's plan. And, uh, and even in the most mundane things, right? And uh, in the 16th century, uh, no, I guess it was 17th century, but it was a long time ago, uh, Brother Lawrence is, uh, was this monk. And uh, he was poor, he was uneducated, and he found himself in this monastery. And because he was poor and he was uneducated, right, he kind of found the right tasks. Uh, They're like, we got the spot for you. You're going to garden and you're going to wash dishes. That's what you're going to do to serve this community. And uh, and what, what Brother Lawrence came to realize is he came to realize that even in the most mundane and ordinary tasks of washing the dishes, It was actually an opportunity to practice the presence of God, to recognize that this is an act of worship, that God made him, loves him, sees him. And even though this task is so mundane, so boring, so lame, you could just sit there and be so mad the whole time. And he's like, oh my goodness, this is an opportunity to serve my brothers. This is where God has planted me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, Paul says this, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever job you're doing, no matter how mundane, how ordinary, how boring, how not fulfilling, there is a lane of Christian theology where we are called by God to worship him, to honor him, 
to see ourselves stewarding what God has called us to be and what he's called us to do. And what's interesting is verses like this, right? Martin Luther and John Calvin, you know, basically end up coming with this whole idea of the Protestant work ethic, right? Was, is rooted in this idea that we are called by God that whatever we do. And back then they didn't get a choice. This is what they did, whether you're a farmer, a blacksmith, a servant, a, um, you know, it was a very tiny percent of people who just got to do whatever they wanted. All of us normal people worked. And so how are you faithful, faithful, faithful people? So that's part of God's design, right? God made it that way. Um, he made us to be that way. And even in the most boring and mundane things, we get to worship God. Whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. But if we're honest, work sucks. So what do we do with that, right? We have this theology that God made work and it's good and it's noble. And on the other hand, 90,000 hours of our life is spent toiling and sweating for the benefit of somebody else you're leveraging 90,000 hours of somebody else's for your wealth. Like, is it blowing? And like, that's godly. That's, that's kingdom work. And, and we want to be, we, we want our hearts to be full. We want to leverage our gifts. And so we wrestle with this tension. And so uh, one of my favorite theologians said this, you know, work is the main consequence of the fall. And it is a curse. No wonder that it sucks. That's from Ben, <laughs> that's from ben Cochran, a, a local theologian here in Marin. And, uh, and he said this like 10 years ago, and it stuck with me. Like, no wonder work is hard. It is part of the curse. Like, like when God created, God created humans to, to, to tend for the, the world, but then because of sin, God immediately curses uh, humans and curses the world. And this is what God says. This is what God said to Adam. He says, because you listened to your wife, take that with a grain of salt, and ate fruit from the tree, which I am about to command you, you must not eat from it. Then he says this, cursed is the ground because of you. Though through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and dust you will return. That, that checks out, right? I mean, that checks out. And I just think it's, it's a helpful balance because we are called by God to be noble and incredible and change the world for the kingdom. And sometimes we get jobs, we get those 90,000 hours and we're participating in that. And sometimes we get a, a job and the, part of those 90,000 hours are crushing our soul. And we have to figure out how in the world are we faithful to God? Are we faithful to the things in front of us? And are we moving the kingdom forward no matter wherever God has planted us, all right? And if you're trying to navigate where that's happening in a career path and there's all these things you're wrestling with, that's for another time. Call Pastor Jeff. Um, he'll get you all tuned up. Uh, but for the sake of the few minutes we have left, this is just an in general, we have to recognize that those are two tensions. And so what are we gonna do? How do we live in Wednesday, this Wednesday? Not like Wednesday in 10 years when you have your dream job. This Wednesday, in the job that you have, in the place that you have, how are you gonna honor God? And here's how we do it. We dress for the job we have. Back in the good old days, every job required a certain dress. And there's something about getting ready for work. And we live in such a casual culture that we don't really get this anymore, but almost for all of human history, for many professions, you dress. In Christian traditions, I mean, we're so like warm and friendly and casual, but in the Christian tradition, if I'm going to get ready to preach, I have a robe, I put on a stole, I wash my hands, I go through a liturgy, and I prepare to come and deliver the word of God, and it is no joke. 
right? I mean, it's no joke now, but I'm like, my cool white shoes, you know? And like, I'm trying to relate. Like, like there's, a, there's something that's warm and friendly to that, but there's something, right? When you dress, like in only a couple times my whole career did I put on all the garb and you put on all the garb and you're like, oh boy, look out. This is the real deal. In jobs, we have to do that, right? If you have to get dressed up for a presentation, you're getting dressed up, you're getting ready, prepared, and you're like, this is a big deal, right? If you're in law enforcement or a firefighter, right, you, everything you're putting on your body matters and you're paying attention to it. And so if we're going to get ready to go to work, we need to get ready for 10 o'clock tomorrow. We have to get dressed. We have to put on the right clothing to prepare ourselves. I love this passage in, in Colossians chapter three because it works for everything in every situation. But I thought, what a fun way to think about it in the context of getting ready for work. Paul says this, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive them as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Can you imagine? Like, what I love is in Ephesians, it talks about put on the whole armor of God, right? There's a posture of like, okay, I'm going to do some spiritual battle. And now here we go, and I'm going to put on all these things, the, right? The helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. And you're like, all ready to go. Well, this is a different kind of clothing. You're putting on the clothing of Christ. This is how we're going to put on our clothes to be prepared for work. And what I love is it begins with identity. It says, okay, God, it's God's chosen people, right? You are seen by God. You are known by God. He sees you. He picked you. You matter. Even Brother Lawrence washing dishes and gardening. Whatever job you have, whatever mundane thing is happening at 10 o'clock, God's like, I chose you. You are my daughter. You are my son. I picked you. I picked you to be in this spot at this time. He chose you holy, set apart. Like your job may not feel holy and set apart. You may not even feel holy and set apart. But our identity is that we are people who are to be separate, to be set apart for the glory of God. And we're not set apart like don't talk to me in my cubicle. We are set apart in the way that we live, in our posture towards the world. And what's crazy is the best uh, definition I've ever heard of holiness was that it's like soap. We think of holiness um, as like having to get away from dirt, but holiness actually transforms dirt and makes it clean. God longs for us to be those people, uh, to be like soap, to be holy and to dearly loved. He could have just said chosen, like I picked up my baseball cards. He could have just said set apart, holy, but dearly loved emotionally connected. Like, he doesn't just go, I love you because I have to, like a pet. Like, he emotionally loves you, dearly loved. And I think we forget, like, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. But sometimes it's just nice to sit and to realize, like, God really loves you. And he doesn't love you, like, as a group. Like, he loves you, Tyler, right? He loves you, Rudy. I can't see all the way back there, right? He loves you, Rick. Like, he loves you. He loves you, dearly loved. And because of that, that's how we go in. Our very first part of our clothing we put on is our identity. Who am I? So then whatever mundane thing we do, we're like, oh, done. Here we go. So we, what do we have to do? We have to put on. So I just want to give you a couple of definitions. Just close your eyes just for two whole minutes here. Imagine 10 o'clock Wednesday at work, who you're interacting with. Put on compassion. Compassion is the feeling of empathy and understanding for the distress of others. But not just the distress of others, but it's also an attempt to alleviate or reduce it. Kindness. To be generous towards others in a friendly manner. 
I love this. It reflects a willingness to go above and beyond one's personal needs and to contribute positively to the lives of others. Imagine walking in to the people that you work with and expressing compassion and kindness or humility, being modest and unpretentious. Be aware of your limitations and imperfections. Have room for growth. Balance an accurate self-perception while avoiding excessive pride or arrogance. Being able to learn. Here's a good one. Gentleness. Kind and tender. Begin to be aware of others and their feelings. Showing restraint in the face of conflict and hostility. Choosing to respond with understanding and and empathy instead of anger and hostility actually being mindful of your words and your critical language and patience. The ability to remain calm and composed in the face of challenges and delays. The the ability, again, to manage your emotions, expectations, and reactions, demonstrating self-control when confronted with setbacks. Willing to give time for situations and even your career to unfold naturally. Isn't that incredible? Imagine getting ready for work and being like, this is my identity in Christ and I'm going to put on compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And when I engage with the people in my work, that's the way I'm going to engage them. And then the graduate level of stuff of bearing with one another, forgiving one another, the way that the Lord's forgiven you, and then putting on love. And and I know, and I think about this all the time, and everyone's first reaction is, but you don't know but you don't understand. I'm going to get taken advantage of. Blah, 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 blah. We all, that's all true, but we all have spent our whole lives complaining and one second thinking about putting on the clothing of Christ. What if we spent a decade putting on the clothing of Christ and then we'd have a different perspective of the people who are going to take advantage of? Ouch. I know. Well, and I only say that, listen, I'm right with you. I'm not saying like you. Okay, here's what's gnarly. My son... He's trying to be a young philosophy guy. He's reading this book, The Book of Power. I don't know if you've seen this book. It is gnarly. But I want to be like my son, so I'm reading it. And it is Machiavellian to the core. I'm like, whoa, it is dark. It is like, you want to know how to work and rule people? 48 tricks for it. Here's what's wild. Most of these tricks recognize that human beings want to be seen, want to be cared for, want to be loved want to have a compassion and kindness, humility and patience be expressed to them. Now, this guy is going to leverage it for dirty things, but he knows that that's what humans want. So don't leverage it for dirty things. Instead, we leverage those things for the kingdom of God, for the benefit of others. And so my gentle encouragement is just this week, this job, this moment, to put on the clothing of Christ. Even if someone's taking advantage of you, even if someone has wronged you, that's, that's the Christian way. That's what Christians have done. That's what makes Christianity different from every other religion in the whole wide world. Because there is justice that God's going to bring down one day. But that justice isn't ours. Our job is to love others the way that we have been loved, to forgive others the way that we have been forgiven. And if your job is an unhealthy place, Well, this week at 10, you can be praying about that and thinking about that and coming up with a plan to transition and figure those things out because you don't need to be there forever. But while you're there, how do you be God's person? All right, I've, shoot. Okay, all right. 
I, we're, we're still going to get out of here on time. Don't worry about it. Okay, I just want to give you four pro tips. These are four pro tips. You're thinking about how am I going to survive work? How am I going to leverage these 90,000 hours? These are the four things we have to do. We said it every single week. We say it, no matter what the sermon series is, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we're talking about, the number one thing is we want you to be connected to the vine, to be connected to Jesus. John 15, verse 5, right? If you're connected to the vine, you're going to bear fruit. Be on this journey towards Christ. Move towards Christ. All of your energy and effort gets to be connected to Christ. He's the one who's actually going to grow the fruit in you. He's the one that's going to help you put on the right clothes. So that has to be the starting point. The starting at any point, no matter what, all the time, be connected to Christ. In any way our church can help you do that, it is our joy. Number one, be connected to Christ. The second thing is, right, prepare for work. This is what's so incredible. It's genius. The people who've all gone before us have said there's something unique about having a quiet time in the morning. And everyone's like, oh, the morning's too hard. I like doing it at bedtime, which is great. There's actually a whole spiritual practices that you do at bedtime. It's like you can do both. It's incredible. Um, but there's something incredible and challenging. Even getting up five minutes early, five whole minutes to just stop and think, okay, I am God's woman. I am God's man. And I'm going to put on the clothing of Christ as I walk into the office today, as I walk into work, whatever that is going to be. Prepare for work. Here's the hard one. This one's harder to preach. We actually just have to do the work. There's a work in front of us that we have to do, and we just have to do it. And what's crazy is with all of our cultural moment of rights and, and self-entitlement and all the things, no one does work. You come in late, doesn't matter. You don't, you don't tell your boss that you're taking time off for vacation or you tell them the day before. And they like, how do they not know? Like, it's a totally wild world out there, and it's not working well for everybody. And as Christians, we have an opportunity to present, to present ourselves, to, to be a model, to just be simply be faithful, to do the work, to not grumble, to let your yes be yes, right? To do what you said you're going to do. If you don't want to do it, then give your two weeks notice and figure those things out, right? But doing the work, being faithful to the work, that's the best way if you want your, to have a testimony of God's goodness and grace, Man, to just simply do the work. That's the simple one. And then here's the last one. Just to seek to be a blessing. If your posture is, I want to be a blessing as a person, human to human. There's tasks to do. There's, there's a job to do. But human to human, how are you going to be a blessing? And there's two ways. One is this idea that we're the fragrance of Christ. We talk about this all the time. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, right? That by being connected to the vine, by being connected to the Christ, the Holy Spirit's actually going to live in us breathe in us, move in us, and we're going to smell like Christ. So if we're connected to Christ, you being faithful in the workplace means that you are going to bring the fragrance of Christ with you. And to those who are being saved, it's like the smell of perfume. It's like moss to a flame. You're going to be Christ, and without you having a champion, without having a bumper sticker or a mug that's going to proclaim it, you and your very being are going to proclaim the goodness and grace of Christ. And it's kind of a passive thing. But the work is done in your heart. The work is done in the quiet place. The work is done in the morning. That's where the work is done so you can be the fragrance of Christ. The second is an active thing that we're also called to be God's ambassadors. Now, like I said, I would have done this a thousand different ways, but God, for whatever reason, chose you and me in all of our brokenness and all of our flawedness and all of our dysfunction and all of our humanness. He chose you and I to be his representatives on earth to be his ambassadors. Wherever we are, the kingdom of God is. Isn't that wild? Wherever we are, the Holy Spirit is there. Wherever we are, God is at work. And so what if we just had eyes to see? 
ears to hear, and hands to do. So we have to be connected to the vine. We have to prepare for, our, for the work. We actually have to then do the work. But then that be a blessing, that two part. There's the passive part of, um, of being the fragrance of Christ. And then there's the active part of actually being used by God in whatever way he calls us to do. So I'm going to invite out the band. And here's just the last thing that I would love for you to think about. That this week, how in the world are we going to prepare our hearts? How are we going to do it? And what's so fun, what I love coming to church is because, I mean, even being a pastor, which is super great, we work half a, half a day on Sunday. It's a great gig, right? Um, but the rest of our week, it's mundane. We write meetings and budgets and people and things. Like, it's, 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 it's work is work. It's work is work. And so it takes effort. It takes time to prepare ourselves. It takes time to prepare our hearts. And we come to church to remind ourselves of the truth, to rehearse the truth, to encounter God. But if we want to be God's woman, God's man in all things, we have to prepare our hearts. And what's fun about Sunday is Sunday is the place to make sure our heart is full, to make sure we've encountered God, to have the remembrance and the taste in us and through us so that it's to give us a running start for the week. And so I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to pray in a second, but then I'm going to encourage you to stand and we're going to worship. And we're going to worship with this incredible song that's very powerful. If you listen to the words, it's a little bit too powerful for my Presbyterian heart. But listen, that's why we're here. We're here to remind ourselves of the powerful movement of God, the powerful action of God, the powerful things that God wants to do in us and through us. And so for this next song, I would just encourage you to stand and lean in to worship, to let it fill you, to let it restore you, to let it inspire you as you have a running start to the week and all that God has in front of you. So let's do this. Would you stand with me? Let me pray real quickly and then we'll worship together. Heavenly Father, and our gracious God, what a gift that you have chosen us. We are your chosen people. We've been set apart. We are holy and sanctified and set apart for your good work. And we are dearly loved. Yes, in general, but individually, specifically, we are dearly loved. And because of our identity rooted in you, may we have the guts, may we have the strength, may you give us the strength to be your woman, to be your man in the place that you've planted us. For as great it is, or as a total reminder of the fall and the curse that it is. No matter where we are, God, we wanna be faithful. And we wanna honor you. And we wanna be used by you So have your way in us, have your way through us, and may we both individually and corporately be your people, your ambassadors at work this week. And it be for the glory of your son, Jesus, and all of God's kids said, amen and amen.